Happy Wednesday, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Frary and Smith podcast. We're continuing our Sunbelt in Review series today with episode two, where we'll be talking about the Sunbelt and Cure Bowl champions, the Troy Trojans. We hope that you were able to catch the first episode in our Sunbelt in Review series on Monday, where we spoke with Sunbelt Conference Commissioner Keith Gill about the league's historic season, the exciting moments, and even the issues affecting college football as a whole. If you missed that episode, you can find it by clicking the link in our Twitter bio or by visiting Apple or Spotify in the coming days. You won't want to miss that episode. Over the next several weeks, we'll be diving into each Sunbelt School's 2022 season with the experts who cover them on the ground on a weekly basis. Today, we'll be talking about the 12-2 Troy Trojans, who finished with a program record 12 wins while winning and hosting a Sunbelt Championship game. They also secured their fifth bowl victory in a row when they defeated UTSA in a come-from-behind fashion in the Cure Bowl. The team accomplished all of this under first-year head coach John Summerall, who was named the Sunbelt Coach of the Year. No, no, I've loved these episodes and just being able to talk to those reporters who are on the ground level of these campuses at these practices day in and day out. I remember when I was playing, there was people that would talk to us almost every practice after and would just have a really good pulse of the team. So super excited to hear the perspective of these reporters who know about these teams from the beginning of the year before they're champions to the end of the year when they actually get crowned. So excited for the people to hear about these reporters and just truly kind of getting immersed in these college towns and hearing about what's going on in the campus from a coaching staff standpoint, all the way down to the players and freshmen and the recruits that are incoming. Yeah, I will echo that. It's been a lot of fun getting that inside insight into each one of these programs. And on today's episode, we're excited to welcome Troy Messenger sports editor, Josh Beltwell, who covers the team on the ground in Troy to the Frary and Smith podcast to break down Troy's historic season. Caden, tell our listeners a little bit more about what they will hear in today's episode from Josh. It was great talking to Josh. Josh is clearly someone who's been covering Troy for quite a while and then being back in the championship conversation, he really has a great idea of how much it meant to that town and to the people on that team and the program. So just really excited to hear Josh's perspective. And I think one of my favorite parts is just looking into the future. When you win a championship, it's hard to kind of just, you want to sit in it, you want to marinate it and talk about that. But talking about the future of this Troy program moving forward and how they're going to try their best to stack championships upon championships upon championships was great to hear. Well, we're really excited to have Josh Boutwell, the sports editor for the Troy Messenger, on the podcast here today. Josh, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule. It's my pleasure. I appreciate it. Well, let's jump right in, Josh. This Troy team, just a year ago, they were a 5-7 and seven football team with largely the same core of players this year, though they go 12-2. and two. They win not only the Sunbelt title, but also the Cure Bowl against Conference USA's best team. At what point this year did you start to think this team could have a special season? Uh, I mean, early on, I thought they were pretty good, especially um, even really after the first game when you noticed that uh, completely different from the previous year. When things went bad, it kind of snowballed from there. Every it seemed like every week, the last couple of years, and uh, they just never in the second half. They just never would lay down, no matter what the score was. I think um probably for me, I felt like um it really could be a Sun Belt team with the Army game. Which is the way defensively, to, I mean, Carlton Marshall played out of his mind to come back at the end. Um, but also, uh, seeing kind of the quarterback situation midway through the season with, uh, 
know, Deggy coming in and, and winning the game, and then um, Gunner coming right back, coming in and winning the game off the bench too. So it, it just felt like, man, this team was something else, something we haven't seen in the last several years. And Josh, in week three, the Trojans suffered a demoralizing loss to App State on the Chase Bryce Hail Mary. I know we were there for that game, and it could have been a season-defying moment. What was the next week of practice like, and how did the coaching staff and the players really use that moment to bring the team together and propel forward from it? It actually was a season-changing moment. Um, if you ask anybody on the team, that was the moment for them that everything changed because um, that could have been absolutely just demoralizing for a team like that um, to have you know, last second loss to a, to a team that app has kind of been a, a kind of an arch nemesis for Troy in the last probably 10 years or so. Um, but just motivated would be my answer to that. The way you kind of just talking to them, seeing them in the next few weeks, just they were bound and determined not to let that happen. I don't know if they, they thought they were going to win like 11 straight after that, but I mean, you could just, you could see it clicking in their minds that that, that wasn't going to happen again. Yeah, it was definitely one of those seizing-defining moments for Troy, I think, for the Sun Belt. Uh, just, you know, a crazy, you know, that that game ends the way it does, and then Troy goes on to have the success that they did. Uh, Josh, in those first three weeks of the season, this team really struggled to establish the run game. They didn't have a single 100-yard game. Uh, but starting in Week 4 versus Marshall, they rattle off six straight and eight of their last ten. What led to Troy having so much success on the ground down the down the stretch of the season? The big thing was that offensive line finally coming together. You, know, you had um, Jake Andrews, who had been a really solid solid offensive guard the last three or four years, but moving to center, I mean that's a that's a really tough tough move for a guy that's never done it since really high school. Um, that was the big thing. They were also playing kind of back and forth between a couple of young guys at offensive guard. So when they started to gel together, you could kind of kind of sense that that was coming together. And also, Kamani Badal had, had some injuries early on in the season that limited him. And then he, he just played out of his mind the last several weeks. Um, two straight 200-yard rushing games. Just, I didn't see that coming, but uh, he played a little. He Billingsley, who had, I think, 60 yards total the last two years combined. Really kind of started to, to click again. Um, but all the way back in the spring last year, they said Craddock and Summerall said in the beginning that they were going to run the ball. They were not going. To, there was going to be no abandoning it, no matter what. Um, and that was the thing we saw the last several years was they would all you always hear that lip service of we're going to establish the run, but then it would very quickly be abandoned, and you kind of see the air raids coming back. Um, but yeah, I think the gelling, the offensive line together, and, and Kamani coming, you know, back healthy was the biggest part of it. And this season, this Troy team went seven and one in games decided by fewer than ten points, including six and one in one score games. I talked a lot this season just about how tough it is to win football games and the ability to kind of learn how to win being a skill within itself. What do you think allowed this Troy team to have so much success in all of those tight contests in the season? Uh really, um just especially with the offense knowing that they had the defense that had their back when when you know, you can, you're going to have a really good chance to win if you just score 14 points. I mean, that's, that's huge. Um, but I think the confidence that they built over the year was, was really the biggest thing. Um, and, and knowing that no matter what, that they weren't going to just roll over like the last few years kind of felt like they were doing. You know, Josh, not only did Troy, you know, win the Sunbelt championship game this year, but they were able to host that in Troy, Alabama. 
Uh, there's obviously been some lean years for this program over the last several seasons, but what did it mean to that Troy community to watch their team not only win uh, that Sunbelt title, but then also be able to host that game? It was massive. I mean, it, was, it was all you heard about in um, two weeks, so you know, it, it was really huge. Um, and you could feel the atmosphere in the in the stands that night. And everyone's seen the videos of, of the students carrying off the, the goalposts. I mean, it was a special moment to be in the middle of that. And, um, that's a moment I don't think many Troy fans are going to ever forget. It was it was really big for the community. And you were also down there for the Cure Bowl in Orlando. Troy goes down 12-0 to zero in the game against one of the country's really most potent and effective offensive attacks that they've seen. And then in, in, typical, for, in typical Troy fashion, defense comes up with some huge stops, plays big, and y'all secure the victory. Did you see that team flinch at all in any moment? It's probably a ridiculous question because they've done it week after week after week this season. But what was just the energy and the vibe of the team being down there, being down for a little bit and coming back and doing what they do best, which is playing shutdown defense and stealing a win. 100% confidence. Um, you, you could just see it on the sidelines. You could see it in their faces. You know, They talked about it the last several weeks that even when they were down at halftime, Summerall would just come in there and, and say, okay, you know, it's time to do it again. You know, They knew that they were going to do it. And you could feel it when they talked to you that they really believed it. Um, and the biggest thing in that game was just, the size of UTSA was, I think, shocking to me. I don't know if it was shocking to them, but um, I and it seemed like every week when Troy would get down, I would, I would kind of be like, oh man, this is this is the one where they're not going to come back from. But when you talk to those guys, they never believed that ever. They always believed it didn't matter what the score was, they were going to come back. Now that gives us, you know, a great ability to transition here and talk a little bit about John Summerall. We've talked to multiple guys on this year's Troy team, and they've all said great things about him as a coach. Uh, you spent a lot of time with him and the team throughout the season, and we wanted to ask you, in your mind, what makes him a great coach? And then also tacking this on the end, do you have any great John Summerall stories uh, that maybe haven't been told much this season? <laughs> uh, well, really, if you ask any of those guys, every single one of them will, will run through a wall for him. I mean, and it's, his relatability, I think, one of, is one of the biggest things for him. Um, he's so intense that... Uh, whether whether you're talking about a practice, whether you're talking about a game, whatever, that guy, he's one of the most intense coaches that I've ever been around for sure. I think that's a big thing for it too. Um, you know, I don't I'm, I don't have a funny story, but I will say um, there's not a lot of coaches, especially college, that I've been around that are as personal he has. And um, I had some, my dad had some health issues earlier this year. It's not, and, <laughs> sorry. And, um, he reached out to me personally, and I've never had that with a, with a college coach, for sure. That was them and a lot of me, for sure. Well, that's awesome stuff. I know we've talked to John and had him on the podcast and talked to even just the players and the people around Troy when we were down there for the championship. And you can definitely tell that he's had a special impact on you talking about and sharing that story, but also just everyone in that community. You can tell how much that they've rallied around him as a head coach in his first season. And it's definitely... Also hard not to talk about this Troy season without talking about this defense and how well they played this season, the phenomenal, incredible season that they had. And you can really make an argument they're one of the best defensive units in the country. What would you say allowed them to have such a special season this year on that side of the ball? You know, you know, just coming in, that was the, the thing about this team that you knew that they could really be special because of that defense. It's, it's, even when... The, the Detroit fans call it the dark days in the last several years. The defense is always solid. Um, when you have a guy like Carlton Marshall on your side, 
that's as good as it gets. But, I mean, there's so many guys that were veteran that have been disciplined, that have been um, just great players over the last several years and such a veteran group. I think that was just a big thing. You know, those guys, uh, Summerall and his staff came in and uh, Sherwood, they, they just kind of let those guys do their thing. And, I mean, it's, it's definitely the best defense that I've ever been around for sure. Now, you know, following up on that a little bit, uh, this defense, Josh, is going to look entirely different this coming year with guys like Carlton Marshall, Craig Slocum, Will Cholo, K.J. Robertson all set to depart. Uh, what do you expect from that unit next year, and what progress has John Summerall and this staff already made in terms of restocking that kitchen cabinet? Yeah, I mean, some of those names that you mentioned, I mean, that's, that's hard to replace. The Carlton Marshall all-time league attacker in college football, you know, it doesn't get bigger than that. But um, there's still going to be some solid pieces to this group that'll be back. You know, Javon Solomon and, and Richard Jr. are the, probably the biggest. And those two. One of the things that um, going back to the last question, one of the things that's a little bit different is we had never seen those two guys on the field at the same time with the two best pass rushers. And Troy went out of the way to make sure they could get them on the field at the same time more than we had ever seen. And that was big. Um, they'll be back. You know. Uh, Ray Stewart's coming back. He's probably one of the best defensive backs in the group of five. Um, but we've seen um, with the recruiting class, especially attacking Juco, it's been a big, I've been telling Troy fans this um, for the past couple of years, really. I feel like not just Troy, but every group of five, um, Juco is a place that they're going to be able to find some goal lines. And I think Troy's really done that. Um, they got two Juco All-Americans. Uh, probably the best linebacker or one of the best linebackers in Juco. They got a defensive end who's huge, and he's going to be another big-time pass rusher. They also got a, a Louisville transfer, um, Zach Edwards. So, you know, he he, he said after the game, it was funny, after the Cure Bowl, he said, like, he was immediately talking about trying to get some impact guys that could you know, impact the defense immediately. Um, and he did that in the recruiting cycle. Let's talk about another player on this Troy defense, Troy uh, KJ Robertson. He obviously had the big play in the bowl game, the interception and the return that really flipped momentum and ended up leading to the game, really winning score. But he also just seemed like the life of the party this entire season. Me and Noah were down there for the championship game. I remember him at the post-game press conference, eating a cupcake, having a good time. Tell us about how critical a part of this team and this defense he was. You know, he's one of those guys that no matter what the situation was, he kind of – keep things loose a little bit, maybe when it feels tight. Um, yeah, he's, he's definitely the character of that team. Um, <laughs> when uh, Carlton had the, the game where he had 20-some tackles against the Army, uh, KJ was, was in the room holding up signs, I mean, just kind of messing with Carlton during this big moment. I think DeMarcus Ware had, had called, like, sent a video, and you got KJ Robson over there messing with him. You know, he's just a good guy, and um, – you can tell everybody likes to be around him. So as much as Carlton has made to the team, KJ's been right there with him. He's been a, a ton of this team. Well, you've mentioned his name already several times. Carlton Marshall, he was you know, a huge part of this story of this season. He's been a huge part of the Trojan story over the last five or six years. Uh, speak to us about just the leadership he showed, particularly this season, and what Carlton Marshall is going to be remembered as uh, years down the road. Well, first off, he'll be remembered as one of, if not the best, as a player in the history of Troy. Troy's got a really great history in uh, his past. Um, you know, you really can't 
put into words really when he meant. I mean, he, every guy on that team would tell you he was the heart and soul of the uh, heart and soul of the team, not just the defense. Um, he's a good dude. It's not just being a good football player. He's a he's a really good dude, and if he's the type of guy that you want on your team, you want representing your school, representing your team. And you know, Summerall has said this many times that um, the best recruiting win he got when he got to Troy was convincing Crawford to come back for that last year. Yeah, I mean, I know in Caden and I's interactions, we had him on the podcast. We met him at that Sunbelt Championship game. Uh, you know, I think we would echo everything uh, that you've said. You know, Gunnar Watson was also another interesting story this season. He started the year as the starting quarterback, lost that job briefly to Jarrett Dagey in the middle of the season. Then he had, you know, that fantastic game in the Sunbelt title game before what ended up being kind of a subpar performance, I think, in that Cure Bowl. Uh, he's coming back. What step does he need to take in the offseason to become more of a consistent piece for this team? Yeah, I know. The, one of the big things they really want to you know, hit on is the vertical threat, kind of being able to stretch the teammates a little bit, especially when your running game's going really well. Um, the biggest thing about Gunner is that kid's tough. Man. Some of the hits that he took this year were out of this world that I, I couldn't believe he got up from. And I mean, his mental toughness with kind of everything that went on with the, the Daggy and, you know, them kind of going back and forth between, back and forth between being starters. Um, and still to come out of the internet and be the Sunbelt championship MVP was huge. But, I mean, consistency, that's the big thing that I think they're going to try to work towards and, and the vertical game down the field moving into next year. And Josh, this offensive line unit was one of the best in the Sunbelt as well. You have guys like Jake Andrews and Austin Stidham that really anchored that unit, both with their leadership and their play. With both of those guys departing, what are your expectations for this offensive line group and what do you think they're going to look like next season? Yeah, those are some huge holes right there. Um, but again, um, there's, they kind of hit the Juco, uh, the Juco field the last few years to try to fill in those holes. And there's some guys that they're still looking at in that route right now, but uh, Tyler Harvey follows is a guy that he got a couple starts early on in the year. He's, a, he's from the United Kingdom. He's only been playing this, the game for a few years, but he's huge. And you can tell Troy has a, a lot of confidence in him. So I think we'll probably see him moving into uh, to a role on the, on the offense. Um, there'll be a lot of young guys. So it's, it's going to be a, another thing next year where the, that offensive line is going to have to gel together to have the success they had this year. Staying on the topic of this offense, you mentioned it before. This is a team that knew they really didn't have to score much with the defense playing so well. You talked about Gunnar Watson and those guys trying to get better at the vertical passing game. Knowing that this offense maybe wasn't the strength of this team, but they were still able to accomplish a conference championship and a bowl win. What do you think the message and the offensive identity of this team is going to be like this offseason? Really knowing that they had success without them necessarily being good and they know as a unit now that they can maybe take this team to even another greater height. Yeah, well, one of the things they're going to think of is that, you know, maybe next year they're going to have to put more points on the board because some of those some of those guys aren't back on defense, you know, so there might be a step back on defense. So if there's a step back on defense, they got to take a step forward on offense. Um, that's going to be the biggest thing. They have a lot of weapons back on offense, so I think, um, I think they're going to be confident for sure. Now, you know, to follow up on that a little bit, obviously we saw Tez Johnson leave the program, you know, you know, signs out West uh, to play for Oregon. How big of a loss is Tez Johnson going to be at that wide receiver position? Huge, huge. I mean, um, he's definitely the most productive receiver this year. Um, um, also, Rajay Johnson, um, being a senior, uh, he's probably as big as anybody else for not just his ability to make ridiculous one-handed catches and things like that, but uh, blocking, you know, 
Joe Craddock has said from the absolute from the very beginning, if you don't block on this offense, you're not going to get the ball, period. Um, so that's big. Um, but uh, Jabri Barber will be back next year. He missed almost, I mean, I think he got hurt in the fifth game or something like that. Um, and he was actually the leading receiver when he got hurt. Um, him being back would be huge. Um, they got uh, Chris Lewis from Kentucky. He's a, another big body receiver. Kind of, you tell that uh, Troy kind of has a type right now when it comes to these receivers. Wanted to get us big body guys that can block down the field. So you know, that's a big one. Um, but yeah, losing Tez and, and Rajay is, is really big. Yeah, well, certainly, I think that's one of the you know the biggest positions that's a question mark. Maybe alongside running back next year. Uh, you know, before we let you go, Josh, this was a special season for Troy. There were many just iconic moments you mentioned earlier, and I think about the sellout against Army, winning the Sun Belt title, the Cure Bowl victory. Uh, what are you going to remember most about this year? Uh, it'll definitely be the, the Sun Belt championship. Week. That was just the atmosphere was just unreal. You know, so. Goalposts. Being in the being in the middle of that when with all the students in the celebration, that was it was it was definitely different uh, for me. Um, but yeah, that that'll be the big thing, and just kind of everybody around here kind of rallying around this team. That you know, a lot of people have been down on the last few years. It'll be, it's a it's a season. I don't think many people are going to uh, get around here. Now, last question there for you, Josh. Um, you know, looking ahead to next year, if you had a crystal ball. We saw the opponents announced yesterday uh, inside the Sun Belt. How good do you think this Troy team is going to be heading into 2023? I think this will be good. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and predict 12 wins again. Uh, that's that's going to be tough. But, and that JMU game on the horizon is going to be really interesting. Um, but, yeah, I think I think they still have a chance to, to be in the hunt in the, in the Sun Belt West. And there's a lot of pieces still there. There's a lot of a lot of holes that have to be filled. But, um. I really think they can have another great year for sure. Well, Josh, we really appreciate your time today, giving us some inside perspective on the Troy Trojans program. Obviously, it was a a great season. We've enjoyed your coverage uh, of the team and certainly look forward to uh, watching this team grow in the offseason and moving into next year. It's my pleasure. Anytime. Really enjoyed getting to catch up with Josh Boutwell. Caden, I know you and I have both enjoyed his coverage of the Troy Trojans throughout the season, and it was great to get that inside perspective. I love the moment of vulnerability there, too, when he got a little choked up thinking about how John Summerall had you know, invested in him in a, in a period of his life where his dad was dealing with some health issues. It really, the more we've talked to people around this Troy program, you really came to understand how much of a family that program was and how much John Summerall has really just changed the culture in Troy. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that moment of vulnerability from Josh. I think when we were on campus and we're just from the things we heard and talked about with Coach Summerall, it was clear that he was a very important and meaningful person in the Troy culture and in the locker rooms. And I think when you talk about football, it's obviously a tough man's game. But when we were down there with that Troy team, you could tell that there's a team that loves each other and a team that's very tight to each other. So it was great to see that moment and hear about that moment for sure. Okay, and despite all the success that this year for Troy, when you start to think ahead towards next year, there's a lot of pieces that aren't going to be back with that team. And I think that John Summerall in this coaching staff has a lot of work to do in terms of restocking that kitchen cabinet. 
They definitely do. And I think when you look at a defensive standpoint, they have a lot of positions they have to fill in from an offensive standpoint. They know that they have a lot of things they need to fix despite them winning a championship this year and attaining that success. They know there are areas on that side of the ball they can get better. But I think overall, what's going to help this team a ton is even those younger guys, some of those guys who are going to have to fill into those roles. They now understand what an offseason looks like and what a season looks like of a championship level football. So I think Plug and play is obviously something that's not a, a football thing. You can't just grab guys from the portal, plug them in, and it's going to work for you every single time. But you have people on the team who are accustomed to the culture and more importantly, accustomed to winning a championship. I think that's going to help this team a ton going forward. It will be important for Troy, though, in this offseason as well to really focus on improving offensively. There were so many games this year where they had to lean on that defense and guys like Gunnar Watson are going to need to step up and even be a better version of themselves. Uh, as we start to look ahead to 2023. They definitely will. I'm going to be very curious to see what the offseason looks like for this Troy team. We might have to tap back in with Josh at some point and get a little spring update, something to know about what this offense has going on in the offseason because they're losing some weapons. They have a Tess Johnson now that left for the transfer portal. They have players now that they have to not only replace, but also just have to, in general, step up as an entire offense as far as production goes. Josh mentioned that this offense kind of knew they could score around 14 points and win every game. That's not exactly the most successful formula work this year for Troy, but I'm sure next year they want to be able to be a little bit more complimentary to that defense and light up the scoreboard. Well, Caden, everyone loves awards. And on this podcast, we'd love to recognize great athletic achievements. And so with each one of these Podcast episodes coming up. We're going to spend some time at the end of the episode to hand out some end of the year awards for each one of these teams. We're going to look at who was the freshman MVP, who was the top player on offense and defense, and then ultimately who was the most critical or the MVP of each one of these teams. So, Caden, we'll jump right in. I'm going to go ahead and go first here. And for Troy, I'm going to go ahead and name my freshman MVP. And I'll be honest. It was very challenging because when you look at this Troy team, they were a veteran-laden team that played a lot of veterans, that had a ton of experience. So there wasn't many people to choose from. I had to stretch the rules a little bit. I'm going to go with Devontae Ross, the wide receiver. 13 catches for 147 yards this year. Didn't record a touchdown, but he's a player that had a good season in a supporting role and now moving into next year is going to be expected to do a lot more. I could definitely see Ross having a big year next year, especially when you look at some of the losses at the wide receiver position before, for sure. But staying on the offensive side of the ball, I think offensive MVP, a guy who came on very strong late in the season and really carried this team as far as the offensive workload goes, especially at the back end, have to go with Kamani Vidal. 1,132 yards in the season, 10 touchdowns, one of four Sunbelt running backs this year that reached the 1,000-yard mark. Just thinking back to those two monster games he had at the end of the season, having those two back-to-back 200-yard games to close out the season for this Troy offense, who we knew going into the season and throughout the season had struggles running the ball. But them reaching that 100-yard sweet spot every week, week in and week out, was huge for them. And he was a big, big part of that, especially when you look at just how non-productive they were sometimes quite frankly in the past game so that's my offensive MVP and on the defensive side of the ball this is a tough one with so many great players on this defense this really is a award you should just give to the entire unit because they are all so important and integral to their success but one with someone who probably wasn't talked about enough this year and that was safety Craig Slocum he was the only guy other than a Carlton Marshall who had 100 tackles on this team ending with 102 had seven pass breakups three turnovers look Brady Stewart was one of the best, if not the best, corner in this conference. It was very easy to give this award to this guy. He's the first team all-conference guy, one of the one of the many Troy defenders who was on this list. But 
this guy, Craig Slocum, he was an honorable mention, someone who didn't get a lot of credit, but I think his versatility both in the pass game and in the run game was just huge for this team. He was one of the few guys who could not only come down and play physically, but also make plays on 50-50 balls and guard wide receivers. I remember when me and Noah were there for the championship game, he was just putting hands on coastal receivers, playing super physical, and just gave this team another edge, another level that they needed. So that's my defensive MVP, Craig Slocum. I'm pretty sure, Caden, I just heard a collective gasp in the city of Troy, Alabama, that you didn't take Carlton Marshall as your defensive MVP. Now, I will say we did make some rules as we were setting up these end of the year that one player could only get one award. And so we have saved the best for last. There was no other person that we could choose for team MVP than Carlton Marshall. He was the leader. He was the glue of this team. Garnered Sunbelt Conference Defensive Player of the Year honors, 135 tackles, three and a half TFLs, an interception, a forced fumble. He did it all for this Troy team and what ended up being one of the most legendary careers that we have seen in the Sunbelt Conference in years. So Carlton Marshall had to be our team MVP this year for the Troy Trojans. Caden, I got to admit, that was a pretty impressive list there. Marshall, Vidal, Slocum, and Ross, I think, that's a lot of talent and really goes to show why Troy had as much success this year as they did. Yeah, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, some of these teams we'll talk about and some of these awards we give out will be a little bit gimmies. You can expect who we're going to give it to. But with this Troy team, it was tough, man. I mean, this team, I think it really shows how much of a unit they are. I think the individual performances stand out every now and then. You get the Gunnar Watson game. You get the Kamani Vidal 200-yard game. You get the Carlton Marshall insane 20-tackle game. But overall, when you look at this team week in and week out, Everyone was just producing at such a high clip. This team didn't really matter who made the plays. They didn't care who made the plays. They just knew that everyone had their job. They would do their job, and they would do it at a high level. And I think that's why we saw them holding up that trophy at the end of the year. So kudos to those individuals, but just in general, the entire team for playing together and really being the best unit, I think, on the defensive side of the ball, and then leading on that and just being able to come together as a team as a whole and bring together, bring that championship home to Troy at the end of the season. Hey, what an exciting year it was for the Troy Trojans. 12 wins, conference champions, Cure Bowl champions, and now they move into the offseason looking to improve and head into next year looking to defend that championship. Well, that will do it for another great episode of the Frarian Smith Podcast. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to Troy Messenger Sports Editor Josh Boutwell for joining us for today's conversation. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with the third episode in our Sunbelt in Review series on Friday, where we'll highlight the 2022 season for the Coastal Carolina Chanticleer. Special guest Brandon Dunn, who serves as the sports director at ABC 15 in Conway, South Carolina, will stop by to provide some inside perspective on this year's team. Again, thanks for taking time to listen today. If you like what you heard on this episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast, Make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss another episode. And if you'd be so kind, consider leaving us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We love hearing what y'all think about the show. Finally, take a moment to follow the show on Twitter if you haven't already at at Prairie and Smith for all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.